0: Welcome to the Next Level Finance Podcast. This is your host, Tony Kane. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I've got a real treat for you. I've got the pleasure of having Chris Gray owner of your property empire a buyer's agency business with me today so if you don't know already chris's story is really cool so he started investing back in the uk when he was 21 and he built up a big enough portfolio that enabled him to basically semi-retire by the age of 31 and he now owns a property portfolio in excess of 15 million dollars and lives a really truly amazing lifestyle so i'm really excited to have chris here today before we get into our awesome chat with Chris today, a quick word from our sponsors, DLB Insurance and Risk Solutions. So if you're a small to medium-sized business, especially in the building and construction industry, and you're looking to talk to someone to get all your insurances organized, you've got to reach out to the dean and the team at DLB Insurance and Risk Solutions. To get in touch, call 17 652 662. So Chris, I need to know, take me back to when you were 21, living in the UK, how you got started on your first property and how it came to be that you now own over $15 million worth of property.
1: Yeah, sure. So look, my, my school base is basically numbers. So everyone thinks of me as the property guy, but I think of myself as the kind of the logic and no emotion guy. So I'm not a great accountant, but I think in numbers. I'm an accountant, so I've got no emotion. And that helps me to make decisions that most other people wouldn't make. So for instance, when I started investing at 22, um, my mum gave me a midnight curfew after I'd been backpacking around the world. And that was the catalyst to say, no, mum, I'm I'm an international traveler now, I'm moving out of home. And I earned 10,000 pounds, and you could borrow three times your income. And so that would be 30,000 pounds. And that would give me a really shitty studio unit in the worst part of town, which obviously I didn't want.
0: And this so, was, back, was this back in the UK? Chris? Yeah, back
1: in the UK in 1992, yep. so like yep. 30 years ago. And so I went looking at all the dream properties that I couldn't afford and basically fell in love with one. And I just thought, how do I make this work? So I kind of set my goal, that's what I want, how do I make it work? And I basically did the simple maths and worked out I couldn't afford a one-bedroom unit, but if I bought a three-bedroom house, if I rented two rooms out and the rents were really high in those days, they are about 12%, I could actually live for free. And so I went to my dad and I showed him the two sides of the paper to say, I can't afford this, but I can afford this. I don't need a handout, but I just need a parental guarantee, just like they do these days, to say that I'm going to pay the mortgage and the cash flow works. And long story short, I ended up buying a £100,000 place for 80000 because I was in a good negotiating position and um, effectively lived for free and had two years salary overnight.
0: Wow. I love it. And that's, I love how you, you took the emotion out. It was a pure numbers play and you've actually just took that extra step to, you know, not only just have, what most people just have one side of the paper, you flipped it over and said, Oh, well, hold on. What if I do it this way? And, and that was the catalyst. Was it Chris for where you and, are today?
1: And, and, and that's the thing. And so no one could believe I had this amazing place because none of my fr- like a lot of my friends earned more than me, but everyone thought, Oh, you're tied to a mortgage for life. Whereas it was really the equity in that property that, I then, um, I repeated it two years later, um, but then used the equity to um, buy a Porsche. I got a free Porsche as well. And um, <laughs> then I sold the Porsche and then that was my traveling money to emigrate to Australia. And so lots of people would think, oh yeah, but you're getting debt on debt and you're, that's bad debt, which, which is true. But the thing was, is the property had still risen in value by much more. So if it had risen 30 or 40,000 pounds and I'd taken 10 grand off the table to buy a Porsche and then use that. To sell it to then tra- uh, fund my travelling, I'd still got an extra thirty thousand pounds worth of equity. So the difference is, is rather than sell the property and have no asset left, I kept the property and took a bit of money off the table.
0: I love it. I love it. And Chris, has moving after moving on to, and moving to Australia, did you? Is that when things started to really ramp up for you?
1: Yeah. So so I had two properties by the time I moved to Australia, and they were still growing while I was travelling, and. Then I bought another property in in Sydney, in Coogee. And it was just because we were just brought up with the mentality that rent money is dead money. And I've got different thoughts on it now, but I still believe in that rough concept is you should always try and buy. Um, And so I just carried on buying here. So I bought one and then did a bit of a renovation on it. And then that grew in value. And then I then bought a second one. And basically by the age of about 30, I had six properties. And in the boom, that was early 2000s they were growing at 100 grand a year each. It was like 20% um, capital growth then. So I was making yeah. 600 grand a year from passively from property. And my job at Deloitte's as an accountant, and I wasn't a very good accountant, I was earning 80 grand or 60 after tax. And that's why I kind of retired at, at 31, because I thought I'm earning 600 grand from doing nothing, I'm earning 60 grand after tax from working, then it doesn't make sense to do a proper job.
0: It's a pretty easy decision, isn't it, with those types of numbers?
1: But it's actually still really hard because I've been brought up. So, my dad was a um, a doctor, my mum was a nurse. We've been brought up to be employees for life. And the thought of being self employed, I know that's for different people. And so, mentally, it was actually very, very hard to not have a wage. And so, the way I got over that hurdle was I basically put 60 grand into a bank account and paid myself five grand a month. And I thought that's the same as having a job for a year. And then if at the end of nine months, I'm, I'm worried, and I'm running out of money, I've then got three months to get a job and being an accountant, hopefully I should get another job. But you then suddenly right. one year led to two to three to four to five, and then kind of 20 years later, then uh, I haven't done a proper job since.
0: Chris, I'm really glad you went there because I, I've spoken about this sort of concept, what you just spoke about to clients of mine over the last 12 years. and one of the things I talk about the, the importance of investing is it gives you that choice, right? So if we sort of looked at your story and go, well, without those properties, it would have been very difficult for you to, you know, um, make the decision to go to leave your wage and go into self-employed land. And I talk to people all the time where, you know, because I, I don't have any sort of preference between self-employed and employee, right? It comes down to the type of person you are. But I think what I've seen, and it's unfortunate, so many people have, you know, wanted to run their own business and they've gone out on their own, but they didn't have that capital behind them to basically sustain that self-employed period. So I love what you did there where you basically gave yourself the best chance of surviving without having a wage.
1: And, And that's the thing, because if you're involved with lots of business people and they're trying to borrow money for their businesses, the first question the bank asks them is what property have you got? Because banks don't generally lend against businesses. They lend against property. So I was very lucky to to get into that. And a lot of people ask me now is what is the biggest thing about wealth and having money? Because they know I'm into kind of um, cars and choppers and boats and traveling and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately the biggest thing that I've, I've understood about wealth from speaking to thousands and thousands of people is it's, it's choice. It's having the freedom and choice to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. And so whether you're living in a million dollar home or a 10 million or a hundred million, or you're driving a brand new car or second hand, most of it doesn't really matter. It's having the freedom to do whatever you want. So you're not forced to turn up to work. So I was always rebellious at school. I hated being told what to do. And even if I wanted to do it, I probably wouldn't do it just to be <laughs> Yeah. And, and so this is the thing is, is sure. I still work, but I'm, I'm only doing work that I choose to do. And if I don't want to do it, I won't do it. And so that's a completely different thing for working for the man, going out to work at eight in the morning, coming back at eight o'clock at night, and having no choice.
0: And I bet you, Chris, that even though you've, you've got the choice now, what I found, is similar, I've been really fortunate to be in a similar boat where, you know, even though I've got the choice, for some reason, because it's my choice, I actually work harder than, than I would if I was working for someone else because it's for me. So it's actually a, it's like a, it's, it's, there's so many benefits of having that sort of, wealth, where you can then take the plunge, go out on your own, and you've got the capacity and the freedom to do what you want. And what you're going to find is you're going to earn way more than you would have on any wage anyway. Would you agree with that, buddy?
1: Exactly. And look, I'm not a big man for quotes, but one of the ones that um, I love is the Confucius one is, if if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And that's the whole thing. So when I gave up work, three or four years later, I then set up the business because a lot of people said, oh, can you help me do it too? And so I basically built a business on all the things I love and the things I don't love. So I've got no office. I've got no staff. I've got people that work for me, but they're all self-employed. We don't have to turn up to an office every day until recently. We never even had a database for 10 years. I mean, I don't even use the database. Some of the other guys do, but all of the things that you don't like doing then we don't do it like I haven't worn a suit in years almost even at Sky News I'll be in a pair of jeans and I just wear a jacket and a shirt so (laughs) most of the time now I'm in shorts and t-shirt and so that's the thing is is you don't have to conform if you're if you're I guess leading something and saying well this is the way we do business if you love us Great, let's do business together. If you don't like the way we do it, then then fine, find someone else.
0: Find someone. I love it. I love it. And you know what, mate? I'm going to make sure I take advantage of this today, having you on because you are the property guru, Chris. And I, so mate, I would have plenty of listeners out there at the moment. um, You know, and the ones who are fortunate enough that haven't been affected too badly from the coronavirus, and they're still employed and they're still earning wages they might be thinking about investing in property. So mate, I was going to borrow your brain today um, and, and lean on lean on what you would be sort of talking to, to people in this situation where, because obviously there's, there's huge opportunities at the moment, right?
1: Sure. But most people don't live like that. Most people live out of the fear. They live out of the media. And so everything's a negative. So what I've found over the years is it's easier for people to not make a decision than make a positive decision. And so over the years, people have made excuses for not buying property. It's uh, the interest rates are too high, the market's booming, uh, can't get credit, uh, now it's COVID. There's always an excuse. And sure, for some people, it is a valid excuse. But for a lot of people, it's a lame excuse, and they just need to get off the backsides and do it. And so many people have said to me, oh, you're so lucky, Chris. Oh, you're an accountant. Yeah. Well, I did a 40 hour week job when I was in my 20s to 25s, and then I drove up to London an hour's drive and did night school four nights a week and then studied Saturday and Sunday. But people said I was lucky. Um, people yeah. say I'm lucky now because I've got a lot of property, but I've got 10 or $12 million worth of debt, which is a bigger uh, weight on your shoulders than doing most 80-hour week jobs. So luck is what you make it. And it's always easier to think that the, the grass is always greener.
0: Man, I love it. Now, I always sort of um, believe in that the people are rewarded in public for what they've practiced for years in private that no one sees. And, you know, nothing, nothing is luck. And I think um, it's all about it. – I, I just would love for my listeners and my big philosophy, Chris, over many years is just I um, – you know, I'm like a financial educator, so my job, right, I think the reason I was put on this earth was to go and get all the information when it comes to finance from the world, digest it, and then disperse it to the people that I can help. And I think one of the things – that I've been able to do to help my clients get a lot more comfort around buying property is just to sort of do a bit of a checklist. So, what, what I basically do is make sure that they can afford it. So, I, I um, run a mortgage business, and the first question that we get asked all the time, which is usually the wrong question, is how much can I borrow? And I push it back to them and say, well, how much can you afford? Go and do your budget, work out a figure in your head that you can then literally put away for the next 10, 20 years, whether it's $100 a week or $80 a week, and then you tell me that figure, and then I'll run the numbers for you. So, but how important has do you place sort of cash flow on your strategy when you're looking to build wealth through property?
1: Oh, look, it is massive. And look, that's probably the, the one downfall of my strategy is, is um, I'm into high growth properties, blue chip areas. So it's expensive property. It's like 750 to $1.5 million, and yep. it's negative geared. And so that's why a lot of my strategy is more for the high income earners. Now, a lot of the logic you can use for any property. So uh, in the books I write and the education, it's all about the mentality, and 90% mentality. But I, I personally choose to go more than negative cash flow properties because so on my calculations, I'd rather buy a two bedroom Bondi that cost me 10 grand a year, but maybe grows at five or 10%, so 50 or 100 grand a year, and then I net maybe 40 or 90. Than maybe buy a property that's cash neutral or gives me ten grand a year, but then maybe only grows at twenty five or fifty. Yeah. Effectively, what I'm doing is I'm using the equity in the property to then help cash flow it, so that effectively I don't have to personally cash flow it.
0: Chris, can I jump in there and get you to get you to break that down a little bit, a little bit for my listeners? I sort of um, would love you to talk through that a little bit and how that sort of strategy works.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so let's let's just say you buy a million dollar property. And you get say three and a half percent rent on it. So you get thirty-five grand a year. You maybe have ten or fifteen grand's worth of expenses like strata fees, property management and stuff like that. And then say you go and borrow eight or nine hundred grand at say three, three and a half percent. Roughly I work out over the years that million dollar property will cost you ten to twenty grand a year to cash flow. So the rent So what
0: one to two percent of the of the value?
1: Approximately, exactly. and, yep. and that's the clever thing. So people think 10 or 20 grand, it's a lot of money. But what it means in percentage terms is as long as the property market grows by one or 2% a year, you're going to make money. Now, sure, you're going to get some tax benefits from that. But I don't worry about those. I think those as a bonus.
0: Just all cream. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so when I'm going to buy that million dollar property, say you need 5% for stamp duty, so 50 grand. Maybe you need 10 or 20% deposit, so say a hundred or two hundred grand. But then I might borrow another fifty grand, and that's my cash buffer to help cash flow it for the future. Right. So if I go and buy a property and I've got fifty grand that I can put in my offset or redraw account, and that property costs me 10 grand a year, it means that I don't need to physically put a, a dollar in myself for the next five years.
0: Gotcha. And that's yeah. what
1: we call about self-sustaining property or having it completely separate so that whether you lose your job or something goes wrong, your properties, they're all in the corner and they look after themselves.
0: I love it. And like you said, if we if we know that the net pocket or the out-of-pocket cost ranges from 1% to 2%, all we need to do is exceed the 2% two two, above 2% to make sure we're, basically it's been a good transaction for us, right?
1: Exactly. And so this is why I'm not panicking at the moment because I've got money aside that I leave in the offset or redraw so even if my rents don't come in for a while, I know I've still got the cash flow. Then in this COVID um, environment, I know I can get a six month holiday from my bank if I need it. I'm not gonna use it unless I really need to. But also know I've got the tenants bond money and also know all my properties are insured. And so if there's any difference between the rent they pay and the rent that's due, hopefully the insurance should kick in. And so it's like having a plan A, a plan B, 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 C, and D so that it's unlikely that all of those things are going to go wrong.
0: Mate, I love it. I love the protection you provide around, your, I suppose, your financial fortress. And, Chris, what, what, basically, I, I love the strategy, and I'm very I, – I agree with it. I couldn't agree more. But what would you say to – let's say we've got some listeners out there. They might have just been recently married. You know, they've maybe had a kid, and they're, they're doing their best to get ahead. And I know you touched on the, the rent money is dead money, but let's say we could, you know, break down a case study. If you've got two 26-year-olds out there just married – they're doing okay in their careers, but they're not, there's not a hell of a lot left over at the end of the week or the month. But they want to get to a position where you're at, where they can start to buy these prestige properties. What type of plan would you sort of map out for clients in this sort of scenario?
1: Sure. So look, the main thing with the rent money versus dead money is rent money is dead money, but it's, the rule against that is as long as you invest somewhere else, it doesn't matter. And so the concept of rent vesting means rent where you can afford to live and invest where you get the best return. So the, the main reason that most people buy their own property is that it's capital gains free. But if you buy the right property and never sell it, you never get that benefit. So my mom is probably 75. She's been in her house for 44 years. She's never had that benefit and she'll never get it because she'll be kind of uh, taken out of there in a casket kind of thing. Whereas if she bought effectively an investment property instead and rented elsewhere, all of her repayments would then be tax deductible for those 44 years. So for that young couple, especially if they're going to have kids, like I've got a 10 and 12 year old and what you need when the kids are newborn is different to what they need at two years old, at four years old, at eight and 10. Because when you're a newborn, you don't want to have stairs in the house. You want to be able to try and drive straight into uh, an indoor garage and stuff like that because you've got prams and all that kind of jazz. (laughs) Tell me about it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, any parent knows the grief you go through. So the idea is, is go and buy the property where you think it's gonna grow the most and have no emotion over it. Then if times are good, go and spend a bit more money on rent and go and rent somewhere you couldn't afford and have a bit of fun. If you then need to bunker down or you've got a kid or you're down to one income, then maybe take a step back and say, right okay, let's have one or two years or six months of saving And let's move to a suburb slightly further out, which is then 20 or 30% cheaper. So you can basically move your lifestyle up and down by renting because you're only on six or 12 month contracts. But when you're in your own property, it costs so much to buy and sell, you can't chop and change.
0: And Chris, would you, um, in that sort of strategy, would you, with that couple there, renting where they can afford and what suits their lifestyle as life changes, are you... Obviously, we'd all like to buy prestige properties. And I, I, I completely agree with your philosophy of buying the best property you can afford. But as you're getting started, are you sort of happy with the stepping stone approach of, you know, buying? Obviously, not, that couple's not going to buy a $1.5 million unit in Bondi. Would you prefer them to save or to buy lower price properties as a stepping stone to building up?
1: Yeah, look, you're never going to be able to buy a unit in Bondi when you're 22, unless you've got very wealthy parents or you're a, a child genius. And so you shouldn't expect that anyway. I couldn't afford the best place in town. So it's all about getting on that, um, that ladder. And so look, if you had a choice now between, say you could afford a 500 grand property now, but if you could save and in six months you could afford a 750, sure for that reason it may be worth saving a bit. But for most people then they might be able to get a 500 now and maybe a 550 in a year. For that reason, I'd say just buy whatever you can afford now, because in six or 12 months, something else will change and you maybe not have a job or something else has changed or suddenly you are suddenly pregnant or something and then you can't afford it. So it's always do something for today if you can. And so even if you can't afford the best places is just buy the best location you can. And look, there's lots of different strategies out there of buying regional, buying brand new, getting depreciation, buying Renault and Flip and all these kind of things. But the best thing I've learned in, I've done probably four or 500 interviews on Sky with various uh, experts and stuff. Location, location, location. They say it all the time for a reason. In this COVID, I'm not worried about my properties because there's no supply in those areas. And there's lots of demand from wealthy people. If you can't afford that, there's still regional places or places just slightly further out of town that are, have got multiple industries. There is a shortage of um, supply in the local area for whatever reason, and there's lots of people on high-income jobs from multiple industries. So one industry being wiped out isn't gonna change things. Whether you're spending 200 grand or 500 grand or 750 or a million, it doesn't matter. You just need to get on the ladder because property is all about leverage, so you're only putting up five or 10% down, but you're then getting 100% of the value. And it's about compounding and time in the market. That, that's the secrets.
0: Chris, there's some real, uh, mate, thank you so much. There's some absolute gems there. I mean, I, I talk about all the time, and the wealthiest client that I've got, right, he's worth, you know, tens of millions. He's, he's the simplest person I know, and his philosophy is, he basically just says, you know, go to the major capital city where you live, and just go to the middle of that city and just keep walking out, until you can afford to buy (laughs) and I know that sounds super simplistic right but it's just I I love it and I think what you said there is is critical I mean I have a lot of clients that approach me and go I found this cheap property and there's always a reason for that and I think if they could I'm a big fan of what you said there is where high income jobs are across multiple industries I think if um you could take a step back a bit and go well yeah there's a reason that property's cheap, but like i love I love the point you said before, whereas if you're going to get a um you know a five percent return on a three hundred grand property versus a five percent return on an eight hundred grand property it's a completely different set of numbers right so um mate this is brilliant I love this and mate. yeah and look
1: you, with the simple thing is that's probably the biggest complaint about ours is so we've got a whole mixture of clients from clients in their twenties just starting out to super wealthy people. a lot of the very clever wealthy people in the city say. Our strategy is too simple. If it was that simple, everyone would be doing it, but it's not because we say it's too simple for most clever people. Because (laughs) clever people think it's got to be more complicated and they try and adapt the rules and they try and get too clever about it. The biggest thing I've ever done is I bought and then I carried on buying. And I bought in the GFCs, I bought in the booms. I haven't necessarily picked the markets, I haven't bought the cheapest properties, I haven't done the best deals. I haven't done the best reno, but the reason I'm wealthy and I've got money and I've got freedom and choice is because I did it and I didn't listen to everyone else.
0: I love the simplicity. And Chris, can I ask you be out without getting too personal, but like, have you got a buy and hold only strategy or are you happy to move on, move on a property if it's done well for you?
1: No. So generally my strategy is always buy and hold because my thought is if you buy the good properties in the good places, why would you ever sell? Because it's always good. And the downside with property is it costs you 2 or 3% to sell. Um, it costs you 5 or 6% to, to rebuy, plus capital gains. So you throw away most of your money. So as long as you can refinance, and that's the key these days is serviceability and refinancing, you can get more money by just pulling the equity out and keep repeating, than you can by selling.
0: I love it. It's a very, very similar advice. We're on the same sheet there. And what about Chris? Do you have any thoughts on people over people over on their owner occupied property? Because I, I um, unfortunately have a lot of listeners and people write in, and a lot of people I speak to, they've it's got themselves into a situation where they're basically you know mortgage prisoners of their own home, and they haven't, albeit they might have some equity, but they've gotten their owner occupied mortgage repayments just way too high that they've got no, nothing left over to grow their wealth. Do you have like a a guideline for how much your home should be worth compared to your income or anything like that?
1: Sure. So look, just as much as people overcapitalize, people undercapitalize as well. We've had people that will try and go and do a thirty grand reno in a million dollar Bronte property and <laughs> put in a Bunnings steel kind of uh, kind of sink or something. Yeah. And we're saying, mate, you've got a million dollar property right by the beach. You no one's going to rent it if you go and do this. So there's dangers both ways so look being the accountant so I still don't live in my own home so I've got uh, I think 13 or 14 properties worth say 15 or 20 million but I st- I've been renting for the last 15 years and so I'm not into the emotional and rocky part, but understand a lot of people are if this is your lifetime dream or your partner's dream and that's what you really want and you love entertaining at home and you want your home absolutely perfect if you overcapitalize your, your home, it's not the end of the world because that, that, that's what, what, what matters to you. But if you want to be really financial and get the best kind of money for, uh, for your return, what I do with any renovation, whether it's a home or an investment, is I go and get an independent valuation. So just like when you buy a property, the bank sends a valuer out. We use our, our own independent ones and we pay them more than the banks do so they do a proper job. So even if it's, if it's a home you're just about to buy or even if you already own it, I'd say get a value as, as of today and then at the same time ask the valuer what it's worth based on your building plans or what you're going to do or give him the quotes or the architect's plans or whatever else. And even though it's not built yet, he can give you a valuation as to what the market would say it's worth when it's fully complete. So let's just say you've got a million dollar property and he says it's going to be worth one and a half after your renovations. You know, if you spend a dollar more than 500 grand, you've overcapitalized. Now, if you want to do that and it's an emotional thing, then that's fine. But at least you know where the emotional money is and where the, the straight money is. Um, I if love you it. Do a Renault for 200 grand. You know, look, hopefully you've made 300 grand and it's, it's a great thing to do.
0: It's just that you know what I, I love about that, Chris. It's just that extra step, isn't it? That independent valuation. just that that, that that second set of eyes to go right. Here's what I'm thinking of doing. Am I am I going to you know do my ass here a little bit or, or go backwards? And I love that, mate. And um, mate, talk me through a little bit more about this. So your philosophy of renting your, your property that you're living. I know you said you have got a couple of kids there. So I know a lot of listeners out there would be saying, you know, whether it's the husband or the wife, they're saying there's no way that I'm going to run the risk of having to move every 12 to 18 months because I, I know it's a lot, a lot different in the UK and in, in Europe and, and Asia where you can get a lot longer leases and I, I wish it was the, the case here but are you just sort of just you just sort of take the approach it is what it is I can adapt when the time comes
1: yeah so it's it's all about attitude that if you don't want renting to work it's not going to work and you'll end up in divorce and that'll cost you more money so don't don't do it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, look, when we, when we first got together with my wife, so we have been together 13 days as of two days ago, um, <laughs> we, we moved every year and we had young kids. And, look, it was starting to be a bit of an issue. And so we would then dread. So we'd be signing 12-month leases and we'd be dreading as the 12 months comes up um, because we think we'd get moved on. But then we changed our attitude and we thought, rather than dread it for a year, let's take it as a positive. So let's go and move in with the attitude that we're going to stay there for a year. If we get moved on, then we're going to go on holiday and we're going to have a really nice holiday and the removalists are going to go and pack the house for us. They're going to move it. They're going to unpack it. The cleaner's going to come in make the beds, put the teddies in there and she knows where everything goes in the kitchen. We then come back from holiday and it's going to be a new adventure. We're going to try a new suburb and we're going to try a new house and if we always move to a better property, it's always a positive experience. And the really weird thing is, is ever since we've had that attitude, we haven't moved. So we've been in the same property now for, I think, eight years. And we almost actually want to move to try and get more variety. <laughs> and going but the, the high. rent is so cheap here, it's, it doesn't make sense. So we're in a four to $5 million place we get the whole floor, 360-degree views around Sydney, so we're at the top of the hill in Darling Point. Um, and effectively, we're paying, I think, something like 1700 bucks a week for a 4 or $5 million property. Our rent almost doesn't even cover their strata fees and land tax, let alone a dollar of their mortgage.
0: Mate, I've never heard it broken down like that before. I absolutely love that, Chris. And it's something I'm going to use moving forward in my advice to my, to my clients because I've just done some numbers while while, you, while I was talking to you then. And like, let's say that you have to move five times in 10 years, which is, which, you know, if renting, that could be, that's probably absolute worst case. And let's say you've got the best and, removalist and the best stylist and cleaners, and it costs you two grand every time, right? So in 10 years, it's cost you 10 grand. And like you said, you're throwing a couple of holidays once you get the, the uh, eviction notice. If you... So it's cost you 10 grand plus your rent, right? Versus if you were to, over a 10 year period, buy three or four different properties that you thought were more suitable as your family grew, the the transaction costs of stamp duty to get in, agents fees to get out, times three or four would go into the hundreds of thousands. So you're almost 30 or 40 times better off doing that, you know, if you don't want to or or, or can't afford to live in your owner occupied property. Is that sort of, would you agree,
1: buddy? Oh look, hundred percent. So you're very close with the figures. So we pay our remove list a grand a day, and it takes them a day to pack it up and move it, and then a or yeah, a day to pack it up, and then a day to basically move it and then unpack it, and then the cleaners basically five hundred bucks I think for one or two days to then come in and uh, do all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it hardly costs anything. But the main thing is is effectively the rent I'm paying on this property is about 1%. Whereas the rent I'm getting on my million dollar Kujio or Bondi units is around 3 to 4%. And so that's why it's worth renting. So if you go and rent and buy in the same price range, there's not much difference. There's a few tax deductibility things. But the main difference is, is rather than buy, say, a $3 million home, if I bought three $1 million units, I could then use the rent from that and use that to then rent a, effectively a six or a seven or $8 million property. So Mate, roughly whatever I can afford to buy, I can rent somewhere three times more expensive.
0: That's the key. But how do you think the conversation's gonna go down with me this other when I go home and tell, tell my wife that we're, we're renting out our place and we're moving? I know, <laughs> that, that's I'll the biggest you know. <laughs> thing I get
1: from my, uh, from my seminars is that people say, right, okay, I spent all this time with you and you're now telling me I've gotta go home and tell my wife <laughs> we're moving. But look, yeah, but the proof's in the pudding, right? Exactly. So I even had it with my father-in-law probably about 10 years ago. And he was, he was grown at mine on New Year's Eve. And we had a place in Double Bay, literally opposite um, John Simon's kind of mega mansion. People were jumping out of my bedroom window balcony into the pool below and then jumping from the pool into the Harbor where we had a surf rescue boat outside. And he was saying, Oh, look, when are you going to buy my daughter a house? It's time you kind of settle down with the kids. And I'm saying we could buy a really crappy kind of studio in Ramwick or Centennial or somewhere like that with no view, no nothing, or for, for less money, then we can be on the harbour having this amazing party and stuff. And so if people want to check out this place, we did a show with 60 Minutes about 10 years ago. So if you just Google 60 Minutes and Chris Gray, G-R-A-Y, and there's a clip there, it's maybe three or four minutes long, and you can see this property. And again, I take people through the numbers of, um, I was, that was a $7 million property that interest at the time was seven percent so it cost you 500 grand a year before all taxes and stuff just to to own it i was renting it for two and a half grand a week which is a lot of money but that's 125 grand versus paying 500 grand
0: huge difference it's a quarter hey chris what i'll do I'll, I'll uh i'll throw that in the show notes too because that's that'll be a pearl off for everyone to watch. so mate, i love your strategy and i love your st- no nonsense just that you know, mathematical sort of no emotion approach to it. I think if more of us could sort of take those emotions, out, because like, I mean, I, I love the adventure component of it too. Like my wife, I've, and I've got two girls and we, we love to travel. And I think for me personally, and I, you know, I grew up and I think um, my dad was a cop. So I, I think I, by the time I was in year 12, I think I'd lived in something like 12 houses. Right. And you know, people would disagree but I think I turned out uh, fine um and I think uh but the adventure I wouldn't have it any other way I, I, I feel like I there wasn't much money going around but I feel like I had an amazing childhood no I, I wouldn't have it any other way and uh I think maybe there's you know with our kids now I think everyone's a little bit too precious like you can't take them out of school you can't do this and I, I would like to think that a lot of people can can buck that trend and you know I have a one of my business coaches Glenn Carlson right he um Smartest guy I know, he runs a company called uh, the Key Person of Influence program. Um- it's cool.
1: Yeah, I'm the, in the uh, entrepreneurs organisation with him. He's in my oh, forum. So I know him very, very well.
0: I, and, you know, Glenn, how he, what did he spend? Seven or eight years on a, on a boat, didn't he? Exactly. Travelling around the world. And, you know, I don't think there's too many people smarter than Glenn, um, you know, when it comes to business. So I don't think the effects of taking, changing schools is going to be too dramatic. But um, uh,
1: And look, my wife said a similar kind of thing before because the kids were kind of one and three or then two and four when we're moving. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of saying, oh, I don't want to move and the rest of it. Whereas a couple of years later, they've actually gotten no idea whatsoever. And a few years ago, my son was saying, uh, I want to do some stuff on YouTube. And I said, oh, you're already on YouTube. You've actually been on channel nine on TV. <laughs> yeah. And he said, what are you on about? Because they, they were in our arms while we we're doing the interview with, with 60 Minutes. And we showed him the video and he couldn't even remember the house. He couldn't remember being on TV. And that's the thing is the kids, the kids don't know. And it's, it's almost the views they've had from their windows have been absolutely amazing. But when the kids are one years old, the curtains are shut. And so they don't even see the view. They don't appreciate it. So they, they're going to be
0: fine. 100%. Hey, Chris, but you would have seen like, I'm sure you get a lot of satisfaction out of people that you would have been working with for a long time. Have you seen the cases where, and this is what gets me out of bed, where clients of mine have, you know, basically I've been able to help them completely transform their life. So I'm sure you've got a lot of clients where via your advice, it's, been an absolute game changer for them from investing in good pop- quality property.
1: Yeah, look, and this is one of the really good things about doing TV and speaking and things like that is, um, look, on a celebrity list, I'm down at Z, so I'm, I'm not really recognisable to anyone unless they're really in the property circles. But I might be somewhere in Australia and then someone just walks up to me and say, hey, you're Chris Gray, aren't you? And I say, yeah. And they said, oh, I read your book 10 years ago. I went to one of your seminars. You inspired me. I never actually used you, but I use your information. I've now got three or four properties or done whatever else. And it's one of the best things in the world, just out of the blue, or sometimes on social media, people just link up and they say, oh, look, you're probably too busy to read this, which I never am. And um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But probably the, the nice turnarounds that I've seen is I had a couple of mates here who never believed in the buyer's agent's model, like to pay a buyer's agent 2% to buy a property. They just didn't believe in it. But I needed to upgrade my websites and stuff. So I was going from, I had an education, I was teaching people business and moving to the bars agents. And they were these kind of top end ad agency guys. And they were saying, look, it's going to be 50 or 100 grand to do your website and stuff. And I thought, God, there's no way I can afford that. And so we said, well, why don't we do a contra? And they said, well, we don't, we wouldn't normally hire you. But if it's contra, then we'll hire you. And over the process of us buying them lots of properties, they then saw the value in what a buyer's agent did compared to them doing it by themselves, bought into the process, and obviously that comes out in the websites and stuff. But these were the guys that adopted pretty early. This was like 10 or 12 years ago. Both of them now, one of them lives in Lennox Head, uh, one of them lives in Byron, and effectively they weren't into money that much, but they built up enough property that they want to live more of the hippie lifestyle and, and be away from the, the city and all the smog and, and the hustle and bustle. And so for those guys in their forties, they've got young kids as well. One of them's got young kids. One of them's got older kids is that they could then go and do that. Whereas being tied to their high paid jobs before, there was no way they'd be able to uh, make that kind of move.
0: Mate, I love it. And especially like, I, I'd imagine, like you alluded to before Chris is, you know, we're all, you know, majority of us are panicking about COVID, but I would suggest, like you said before, you're not concerned because you've got a significant financial fortune. I think that's one of the things that's over, you know, it's probably overlooked when investing. It's like, yeah, well, it's great to grow, grow your wealth and have nice cars and holidays, but it's also, it's also like a form of insurance, isn't it? Where you know that, okay, well, if, if and when the shit hits the fan, which it, it's going to hit the fan, you know, a lot more in the future, you don't have to worry because you know, you've got that equity there that you can lean on if you get laid off or your business
1: yeah, is the but there is always a worry there. So it's not that I'm completely oblivious to it and I'm saying it's not going to affect us because potentially it is, but at least it gives me more comfort to to think about things to know I've maybe got a couple of years money. So a lot of people are uh, a paycheck to paycheck as we know. And I know from being an accountant before, if we paid people a day late, the amount of people that would bounce direct debits and have serious issues or couldn't afford their lunch because they are paid paycheck to paycheck. The whole idea about property investing, it should be a 10, 20, 30, 40-year plan, and you've got to have extra cash, just like I talked about the buffer zones before, for rising interest rates, tenants not paying the bills, roof casing, uh, caving in, special levies, or natural disasters and stuff like that. So the main thing is, is you've just got to stop being panicked into making stupid decisions. Um, and so... Sure, I do worry. Because look, I've got $10 million plus of debt. So 1% increase in uh, interest rates, and I'm paying an extra 100 grand a year. So things do affect me. And having so much debt, then the banks don't, it's, it's not easy for me just to walk into a bank and get a loan. It takes like months and months and months and lots of paperwork. But at the same time is it's six to 12 months between decisions rather than panicking overnight that I've got to do something.
0: Yeah, and you, you know that, you know, you're not buying properties every day so you can plan for it. And, um, hey, Chris, I wanted to just ask you, obviously, lean on your expertise as a buyer's agent because a lot of my listeners, um, it's probably a relatively new industry in Australia and I've used buyer's agents before and I, I, um, I couldn't endorse the industry anymore. It's like it's, it's essentially an outsourced service which saves you a lot more than it costs you. So, mate, for the listeners out there of mine who aren't quite exactly familiar with what you do, would you be able to just sort of spend a couple of minutes and explain what a buyer's agent does and the importance of it and how the process works?
1: Yeah, sure. So look, buyer's agents have roughly been around kind of 10 to 15, maybe 20 years with the early adopters. And it's really a mindset thing. So our parents' generation was, look after your pennies, pennies look after the pounds and why pay someone else to do something that you could do yourself? So for instance, my dad would never buy anything off anyone that drove or anyone that drove a BMW because he said they were too highly paid. And (laughs) the the mindset has changed, though, because say if you're selling a million dollar property, most people will use a real estate agent. You pay them 2% or 20 grand, because if they can sell it to someone for a million and 50 or 1.1, sure, you paid them 20, but they've made you an extra 30 or, or 80 grand. And if someone does it all day, every day, they're going to do it better than you that hasn't done it before, or you do it every few years. So the buyer's agent's concept exactly the same, is if you only buy property every three to five years, or even if you bought one a year, how good are your relationships going to be, your negotiation, your ability to pick the right property, compared to someone that does it all day, every day? Now, the problem is with real estate is everyone thinks they're an expert. They think they know everything about property. And so for a lot of people, they say, oh, I enjoy it and and the rest of it. But we operate in the most um, competitive markets in Australia. We're in the eastern beaches, low north shore in the west. And virtually every single property goes to auction. But we know a million dollar two better with parking close to the beach in a small block facing north we'll have 20 or 30 buyers on it most of the time. And even in these times, they'll have five or 10 buyers at auction that will sell for a million and 50 or 1.1. So our thing is, is we can buy that for a million. We buy it on an independent bank valuation, which you as a mortgage broker would know would be conservative. The only way we do that is we've got relationships with agents. that We've had for 10 or 20 years, we might've bought 50 properties from their agency or one or 200 properties from their agency. And so being in the industry, having that, I guess, negotiation and relationships, that's, that's how we get the deals. So some people would then say, well, why would someone sell it to you for a million when they can get 1.1? But there's lots of reasons. Like COVID now, people are terrified. Before, they wanted 1.1, but a week ago, they'd take a million dollars straight away just to get it done. It's, it's called a bird in the hand. Mm-hmm. And it's like secondhand cars, everyone knows that if you trade in your car you're going to get the bottom dollar price versus selling it yourself everyone still trades in their cars because they don't want to deal with the public they don't want the grief of selling that car and so just as people certain people will trade in cars certain people will trade in properties and we are if we offer them a million dollars today versus them waiting three or four weeks for a million and fifty or 1.1 or the market changing and they only get 950 they'll they'll take that million dollars and so effectively, that's what we're for is not only picking the right properties, doing all the work, but it's being able to get a decent deal.
0: I love it. I think it's, it's almost, uh, you know, if I had my way, it'd almost be mandatory because it's a, you can't assume like I have a stockbroker and it's effectively stockbroking for property, right? Like I, um, Dave Lyons from Bell Potter, who looks after my stuff. There's no way that I would be, um, I suppose, arrogant enough to think that i'm going to outperform dave who's there all day every day he's got he's like like you are with the agents he's getting the, the the news hot off the press right and he's got access to people that i would never have access to in a million years like yourself with 10 years plus relationships with agents so i i think for the brokerage that i pay dave to to find and identify my stocks or the um the fee that I pay yourself as a buyer's agent, I just think it's uh it's absolute no-brainer. And every single time that I have done it personally or recommended that it's been done, the client has ended up with a lot better property that, that they would have at a lot lower purchase price that they would have uh, spent on their own, and, and not having to you know spend ten to twenty Saturdays out there looking at five to ten properties each Saturday. And, and if anyone anyway, exactly. has got kids, it's it's frigging impossible to go and, and look. Spend it's it's with
1: kids. if you're paying retail, you're getting ripped off effectively. And, and the bars agents model is going out to other things of buying cars, watches, handbags, wine, stuff like that. So I bought my wife um, a, a car or we, we as a family, we bought a car a few years ago. And I'm not in the car industry versus someone that's been in for 20 years. So we basically found the car we wanted. We got a price to so say it was like we got a Audi RS4 for, say, 100 grand. Um, he will then go off and negotiate it, and go to suppliers that he knows are wholesale that just want to move cars quickly, and say he got the same car for ninety grand. He then charges us twenty percent of what he saved. He saved us ten grand, so he charges us two. But I've still got a car net at ninety-two grand versus paying a hundred. And he's done all the work and got it delivered and make sure it's kosher and it, it it does exist and it's um it's a legal car. So in those kind of scenarios why wouldn't you buy a car from someone that does it all all the time because net net you're making money
0: i love it all back to the mathematics mate i absolutely love this chris this has been (laughs) this has been brilliant for the for the listeners out there so mate let me um let me ask you if we were to fast forward 10 years from now with the you know personally and professionally what would have had to happen in this decade to make you feel like you've you've um you know had a good you know crack and it's worked out well for you
1: yeah, look, I, I guess being contrarian, I'm, I'm different to most people. So I'm not trying to build the biggest portfolio. I'm not trying to build the biggest business. Um, to me, everything's about lifestyle and and work-life balance and things like that. So look, the main thing is with your property portfolio is get it up to a certain dollar level, then almost stop buying. And as the market increases by 10%, roughly your gearing goes down by 10%. So my goal, so I've I've got somewhere like fifteen to twenty million dollars worth of property. My goal is to be about fifty percent geared and to have ideally kind of three to five million in cash in my offset account so that I know that if if COVID two comes around, I don't have to worry for five or ten years. So so that's my priority on the the wealth side of things. But really on the doing side of things is I just think I'm gonna die at some point. And so even though it could be morbid, I always assume I'm gonna die tomorrow. And so I try not to have a bucket list. So as soon as I think of something to do, I just go and book it and I go and do it. So I travel overseas 12 to 15 times a year. So I try and do at least a week, a month overseas and just book in lots of experiences, some with my wife, some with my family, some with the boys, some for business, some for, for pure pleasure. And I just want to fill my next 10 years of all of these things. And every time I hear of someone dying or someone having cancer or someone hurting or covid or whatever it is, it pushes me on to book more and more things into my diary. So when I gave up work at 31, people said, oh, what do you do all day? You must be so bored. I was busier when I gave up work than when I was doing a full-time job because I found so many different things that I could go off and do. And I just want complete variety in my life um, because not many people can afford it, both monetary or time-wise. And I just want to fill my life full of just doing lots of different things anything from charity to fun to business to, to whatever else.
0: Chris, it's, it's, that's brilliant. I love, I love it. You're high energy. You're you're all about life. And I I love, uh, I love hearing that from people where they're just going for it, you know, and ever since you were 22 by from what I can gather, you've gone for it, but not recklessly you've, you've, you know, your numbers, you're, you're intelligent to know what you need to do to get to where you want to be. And and still to this day, you're sort of working off ratios of, you know, 50% is your number. And you know that the, the benefits of renting versus owning significantly outweigh, you know, the, the cash flow costs. So, mate this, is, mate, this has been absolutely brilliant. I just want to acknowledge you, mate, for everything that you've done. You know, I've followed you for a long time and I know that there's probably thousands of Australians out there who, you've, like you said, you've never met, but they've read something or watched something um, of yours and it's made a significant impact in what they have done financially it's probably improved their lifestyle significantly. So, mate, um, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been, it's been really brilliant to have you on.
1: No, my pleasure. And look, one of my favorite things is uh, one thing my mum taught me to do, and that's having an afternoon nap. And again, that's one of the biggest luxuries in life. It doesn't cost anything, but you need the freedom and choice to do it. So quite often between two and four, I might be watching TV in bed, fall asleep for an hour. And to me, that's the perfect lifestyle.
0: Mate, that's a, that's, a gra- that's a great that, that is That's worth a lot to a lot of people, trust me. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Chris, mate, so what I'm going to do is, right, your your book, right, I'm going to make sure that I put that in the show notes. So it's The Effortless Empire. If you haven't read it already, guys, you've got to grab that. You can jump onto Chris's website um, at yourempire.com.au to grab that book. I'll put a um, link in the show notes so you can easily access it. And like I said, if you've been thinking about entering the property market and, you know, if, you're, if hopefully after hearing Chris and I chat, you've, you've, you've convinced or at least uh, are starting to think about maybe the outsourced approach to buying property is the way to go, head over to yourempire.com.au, have a chat with Chris and his team and they'd, they'd love to help you out. And, and Chris, mate, all the best, mate. Like I said, keep up the good work, mate, and uh, you're a real inspiration to all of us.
1: Wonderful. Thanks for having me on. No worries, mate
0: that's a wrap on another podcast thank you so much for joining me today if you haven't already please uh, subscribe that way a new podcast will be downloaded to your phone or your computer every week and if you think there's someone in your life that might benefit from having a listen to this podcast please do us a favor and share this with them and uh, stay safe i know there's tough times out there so just do your best to get through it look after everyone around you and uh, i really look forward to catching up on our next podcast thank you very much